Well, last week we started a new series called You Asked For It. And uh, back in Easter time, we surveyed the entire church. Over 200 people were surveyed. And, uh, and from that survey, we have the, the top five most requested sermons. And so we kicked this off last week with number five, the fifth most requested sermon, and that was discovering God's purpose for my life. And so we talked about this last week that, that it's important that you need to know why you're chasing what you're chasing. It's important that you, you know um, that there is something bigger than yourself in this life. It's bigger than accumulating wealth. It's bigger than having the next house. It's bigger than your job, and it's even bigger than your family. There is something bigger to this life, and our purpose gets bigger when we recognize it is connected to eternity and when it's connected to the Lord. You know, you can go your whole life and you can, you can build wealth and, and you can see, and man, if I and make the right investments, I can, I, can like, I can create something awesome. But when you really think about that in light of eternity, that it's not just money that I invest to see a difference being made, it's my life I have given. And my reward is not in the here and now. My reward is in the well done. And so to give my life in this much of eternity, I mean, it's this much of eternity that I'm giving my life for the purpose of the kingdom of God. The investment and the reward is all of eternity. But if I spend this much of my life to be rewarded in this much of my life, where's the reward for all of eternity? And people search their whole lives looking for purpose. If you want to hear more about discovering God's purpose for your life, you can go to newlifeforkokomo.org. All of our messages are archived on live. So that was this week. This week, we're going to talk about the number four most requested sermon that you asked for, and that is this, is surviving life's worst moments. You asked for this. This is the number four most requested sermon of our church. It's how to survive life's worst moments. And when you hear that, maybe you realize there's probably somebody sitting in my row that came here today. They woke up this morning. They don't, they don't feel it anymore, and they're wondering, how do I survive another day? How am I going to go back to my job on Monday? It's just stinking hard. I want to give up. I want to give up on my marriage. I want to give up on the church. I want to give up on this life. How do I survive life's worst moments? And for this to be the number four most requested sermon of our church, it tells me that we all know what it is like to experience dark days. We all know what it's like to experience dark days. And how do we survive? I want to start by reading you a story um, it's unlike me just to, to read a story on Sunday morning, but this is a powerful story of a young girl. And so just listen closely, and then actually at the end of my message, I will finish this story and we'll hear the end. But the story goes like this. It says, Her worst days began in second grade. A tumultuous childhood, abuse, Unpredictable parents, 
and deep darkness was, uh, made it difficult for the young girl to sit still in the classroom. She was royalty, but she didn't know it. She loved, she was loved, but no one ever treated her as such. All she knew at a young age was that life was hard and God must be far away. Her teacher, frustrated beyond belief with this girl's antics and misbehavior, she had finally reached her limit. She turned to the young girl's peers as a last attempt for a solution, a vicious solution. There was no way that the teacher knew how deep the darkness would be. She said, I want everyone to come up to this chalkboard one by one, and you write down everything you think about her. There was no way that any of the students could comprehend at such a young age how much of an impact their actions would have. And so it began. One by one, the students walked up to the chalkboard and wrote down how they felt about the young second grade girl. Their words were far from kind. Nobody likes you. You're stupid. Dumb. Would you just go home? One word after another, written with chalk on the slate board, but carved in the stone of that young girl's heart, became more than a rant. It became more than an opinion. The words were prophetic. If only someone were there to show her at such a vulnerable time in such a fragile state that even there, in the midst of that pain, that there was love. It would take her years to remember that in her darkest valley, a bloom of hope appeared. That second grade girl, she matured too fast, aged too quickly. By her early 20s, she had experienced decades of pain in just a few years. After a few failed marriages, a life of prostitution, children that were turned over to the state, and a body racked by substance abuse, she finally tried to take her own life. She made promises and never kept them. Those around her assumed that she built walls to keep them out. But she would tell you she built walls to see who would love her enough to climb over them. She was ashamed to look her parents in the eye. She was ashamed to look in the mirror. How do I survive life's worst moments? And this young girl's story may resonate with you. Because so many times as a pastor, what I have found is that there are people in their adulthood that are battling the pain of their adolescence. The thing about pain and darkness is it grows like a cancer inside of us. It becomes all you think about. It leads to signs of depression and anxiety. It leads to one wondering, where is God in all of this? And how am I going to survive the worst moments 
of this life. In the Bible, there's a young man. His name is David. His story is told all throughout the Old Testament. David would become a great king, the writer of many of the Psalms. But David, as a young man, was made destined for loneliness. Out of all of his father's sons, he was the only one that was assigned the lonely task of a shepherd, away from home, out in the field. He was seen less than by his brothers, yet he slayed a giant. He was favored by God, but he was hated by the people's king. David oftentimes had spears thrown at him, though he'd not throw them back. He was lied to. And ultimately, David was hunted like a dog by King Saul, where he had to flee for his life. And one day, David would actually end up as king of Israel, only eventually to be betrayed by his own son. And again, would have to run for his own life because of the betrayal of his own son. Therein, David finds himself yet again, like in his youth, alone and in a cave. And it was in David's now experiencing some of life's worst moments, he writes what is recorded in Psalm 13. And it goes like this. How long? God, how long? How long will, will, you, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me. Answer me. Lord my God, give light into my eyes or I will sleep in death. In other words, give me just a glimmer of hope because I'd rather be dead. And he says, or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I will overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. This is some real prayer. This is David praying in a raw state of his life. This is David crying out to God in, worst, in life's most worst times, in life's darkest days. Have you prayed a prayer like that before? I know I have. Have you prayed a prayer that says, how long? How long are you going to forget me? Have you forgotten me here, God? I thought you loved me but you don't seem to be anywhere near me. David prays a real prayer. If you've ever experienced life's worst moments, you've probably pray, prayed a similar, a similar prayer. So David asks the Lord four questions. Four questions. The first one he, he asks is, how long will you forget me? How long will you forget me here in my pain? How long will you forget me here in my loneliness? The feeling when you're in life's darkest moments is that you feel forgotten. I remember in my, my bachelor days, I called them my desert days. 
For three years, I lived on my own, and I, I gave my life to, to pursuing ministry, and there just reached a time when I just said, God, did you forget me here? Did you forget that I left everything behind for what I felt you called me to do? It's been three years, hello, and it, I was in the most lonely state of my entire life. I left my family. I worked a third shift job. When I left my home at 30 days after I turned 18, I had $100 to my name. And I got a $100 speeding ticket in St. Louis. I had no money, but I stepped out in faith because I believed God had called me to this thing and I was going to go serve, so I found a third shift job. I lived in an apartment behind a barber shop where it was just me and the rats. They'd take my food. It was a battle. And I've said, God, have you forgotten me? Look at me, I'm lonely. Why'd you bring me here? How long will you forget me? Because ultimately the heart is saying, I could never forget someone I love so much. And if you really care about me, then why haven't you intervened yet? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you helping me in my darkest days? That's the pain we feel when our circumstances convince us that God has forgotten us. Because that's what circumstances will do. Circumstances are convincing. Feelings don't always tell us the truth about God. Someone needs to hear that today. That you're asking the how long question. How long will you forget me? I want you to remind you that feelings don't tell the truth about God. Jesus reminds us that God doesn't forget the sparrow. How could he forget you? So don't let circumstances convince you of something. When Jesus says, remember the sparrow, the sparrow, it doesn't sow, it doesn't reap, and it doesn't build barns, but your Heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more so will your Heavenly Father take care of you? So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And so here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God's delay is not God's disregard. That when you're in your darkest hour and you're saying, God, how long are you going to forget me? I want you to remember that God's delay is not God's disregard. The Lord may not answer our prayers according to our timelines, but our prayers do not go unheard. So pray as real and as raw as it takes. Pray a how long, Lord, kind of prayer if you have to, if it means surviving. And remember that you are not forgotten. The second how long question David asks us, he says, how long will you hide from me? How long will you hide, Lord? This seems to lead us to believe that it's as, as, as though David tried to find him, but couldn't. He says, you must be hiding. Because I read the Bible and I don't feel you. I go to church and I worship and I don't feel you. So how long are you going to hide from me? Because I ain't feeling it. I am not feeling this. I'm not feeling good. How long will you hide from me? David has lost a sense. This question tells us that David has lost a sense of nearness to God. 
He feels disengaged. He feels disconnected. He's searching, but he can't find. And whenever your emotions tell you that God has abandoned you, you must answer with faith, not feelings. When your feelings say God's abandoned you, you answer with faith. And you answer like Paul did in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so when you're asking the question, how long will you hide from me? I read, I don't feel it. I go to church, I don't feel it. I worship, I don't feel it. How long? You just let your faith respond. I'm convinced that nothing... Somebody say nothing. Somebody say nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how long? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? The third how long question David asks is, how long will I be sad? How long will I be sad? Have you ever wondered that? I bet you if you've ever lost someone close to you, unexpectedly or expectedly, that you ask the question, God, how long? How long will I be sad for? How long will I grieve? David says it like this. He says, every day I wrestle with my thoughts and I have sorrow in my heart. How long? How long? I have people ask me this question. They say, Pastor, how long will I feel sad? How long will I feel this sorrow? And the thing is, sorrow settles so deep in the heart. How long will I feel sad? I wrestle every day. Here's the thing about grief. It's that grief occurs when we lose something precious. And the greater the value we attach to that loss, to what we lost, the greater the despair. And some of us, we still mourn the loss of an opportunity. We still mourn the loss of a friendship. We still mourn the loss of a loved one. We mourn the loss of how it used to be. How long will I be sad? David's enemies triumphed over him. Even as problems often seem stronger than our ability to successfully resolve them, weakness, loss of control combined with apprehension and fear. And ultimately we wonder, is this what the rest of my life will look like? How long? How long? How long will I be sad? I want you to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Listen to what Jesus says next. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He is the resurrection and the life. So how long 
God, will you forget me? How long will you hide? How long will I be sad in life's most difficult times? The fourth question David asked, he said, how long will my problems control me? How long will my problems control me? David said, how long will my enemies triumph over me? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of losing to my struggle. I'm tired of losing to sin. I'm tired of losing to my enemies. How long will my enemies triumph over me, God? Come on, how long? David's enemies triumphed over him, even as problems often seem stronger and bigger than our ability to win. We wonder, am I just going to have to be this way the rest of my life? How long? How long? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide from me? How long am I going to be sad for? How long will my problems control me? But you remember what Paul says again, Romans 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. How long will my problems control me? And then let your faith respond, I'm victorious. Will this really overcome me? What, what, will trouble or hardship? No, no. For I am more than a conqueror, not on my own accord, but through him who loves me. How long? How long? If you remember our friend, the second grade girl, now in her adulthood and the problems she faced, she was ashamed to look at her parents in the eye. She was ashamed to look in the mirror. Ending it once and for all was the only way. But she was such a failure that she assumed she couldn't even take her own life correctly. And after her failed attempt at suicide, her parents were strongly cautioned to seek professional psychiatric help. So in a last-ditch attempt to save their daughter's life, they made the appointment. Maybe a heavy regimen of medication could save her. She walked into the doctor's office alone as her parents waited in the lobby. And that's when her valley began to bloom. The doctor was aware of her past. He knew she had lost everything. He could see her eyes, in her eyes, the emptiness. The emptiness that she longed to forget. The doctor said, tell me about your childhood, especially those elementary years, he said. She began to recount the typical things like playing at recess, crushes on boys, the games young girls play when they feel threatened, and the abuse. The abuse? 
That's when the doctor probed a little further because this was new to him. She recounted in detail how her childhood had been stolen from her. It accumulated that day in second grade when her peers prophesied on the chalkboard that uh, not what they thought, but who she believed herself to be. She sat in the office, now weeping as the doctor walked her through a process known as reflection. She could still see the smirks on the faces of her classmates as they pointed and they laughed and jeered. She sat there crying, hoping someone would rescue her. There was no one to be found. It was the most painful moment of her life. Unjust, unfair, evil. She couldn't take the embarrassment any longer. Crying in front of somebody was not her style and certainly didn't want to do so with someone who was paid to care about her. She got up from the chair. She shut down the counseling session, moved toward the door. I'm not finished yet. Come back and sit down. His voice shocked her. The audacity of the doctor to so boldly assume he had the right to speak to her that way. I mean it. I have something to say. And for some reason, she didn't run away like she usually did. Not this time. She turned around. She sat in the chair. She wiped her tears and her nose. She looked at him. He said, you forgot the most important part of that day in the classroom. Remember that little boy who walked up to the board and wrote these words? I still love you. Do you remember that? Do you remember that boy? The doctor said, I was that boy. And I remember you. And for years I've wondered what happened to you. Right then and there, it clicked in her heart as she realized that in the darkest moment of her life, she had been loved. And as a child, she had ignored the words the boy wrote. Or, or maybe she just turned away before he began writing. Maybe she had seen the words clearly, but, but relegated them to just mere sarcasm. She didn't remember. Pain masquerades as our friend when we're being vulnerable, when, it, when being vulnerable takes too much courage. Whether she dismissed it or ignored it or simply didn't see love bloom in front of her, she lived for years listening to all those voices. All but one voice. The most important voice. Her valley, though saturated in shadows and death, was in bloom. Love drew her near and invited her to dare to believe her value. And for all those years, she realized how worth it she truly was. And maybe you don't realize how much you are worth either. Embracing the display of love from that young boy, though it wouldn't erase what the others said, it would certainly have eclipsed it. And that's what love does. It summons us to the deep place of being vulnerable where we see it is not, what we see is not all that there is. So how do I survive life's worst moments in the valley of darkness and despair? You have to see what's blooming. 
And David, in Psalm 13, he's saying, how long? But after his four how longs, he shifts and he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart actually rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. How do I survive life's worst days? you got to see that even in the valley, there is hope blossoming. That even in the voices of every hater, there is a voice that says, I still love you. And God took that message to the cross for you to hear it. He took it to the cross for you to see it. He, it took him resurrecting from the dead for you to believe it. That in life's worst moments, you are loved. How long? And even then, something shifted in David's heart and he says, no, 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 no. I will trust in you. So how do you survive the worst, worst moments of life when nothing seems to be going your way? You dig down deep inside of you and say, Mm-mm, I trust you. Because even if this kills me, you saved me. Even if this hurts me, you're with me. I trust in you. Because no matter what people have done to me, you're good to me. And I'm just wondering if somebody turned their eyes too soon and you missed the message of Jesus saying, I still love you. And you just remember the words prophesied on the chalkboard that are written in the stone of your heart that says you're not valuable. You're not worth it. And you missed the blossom of hope. It will bring light into your eyes. So I want to tell you today that despite adversity, we have a reason to rejoice. I'm just wondering if there's some people that are living in adverse times right now today. You came in here with despair and sorrow in your heart that you would say, you know what? I still have a reason to rejoice. And if that's you today, would you just shout with me, rejoice. Come on, say it again. I rejoice. Despite adversity, I have reason to rejoice. But how long? How long? How do I survive life's worst moments. Well, it's like Paul when he was in prison. He didn't look at his chains. He looked to the heavens and he praised and he sang hallelujah. And the chains fell and the doors came open and it brought liberty and it brought freedom. So I want to leave you with this and then we're going to rejoice. And that is, may your how long be swallowed up by your hallelujahs. May your how longs be swallowed up by your hallelujahs. Come on, as somebody in despair this morning, would you stand to your feet with me today and say, my how longs will be swallowed up by hallelujahs. Come on, jump to your feet, my friend. Hallelujah. If you are experiencing adversity, lift your voice and rejoice with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, may my how longs be swallowed up by my hallelujahs. How long will I be sad? Hallelujah, how long will my problems control me? Hallelujah, how long will you have forgotten me? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody's getting over their hardest day right now. Somebody's getting over their how longs with their hallelujah right now. 
So how long will he forget you? Hallelujah. How long will he not see you and hide from you? Hallelujah. How long will you be sad? Hallelujah. Come on, someone's getting over their darkest hour. Someone's getting over the, the darkest hour, the toughest week. In the midst of marital problems, financial problems, physical problems, somebody is digging deep down inside and saying, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. I'm not convinced by my feelings. I'm led by my faith. And where choices lead, my feelings will follow. So I just raise a hallelujah. I dare you this week to have this song on repeat in your car. I dare you this week when you feel sorrow back in the heart, when you feel the darkness coming back, what we did here was a practice. This was a laboratory of how you can survive the darkest days. You could be like David, and you would say, but I put my trust in you, and we'll overcome our hardest days. God bless you today. I bless you to know that you have a father whose voice can be louder than the haters. I bless you to know that his voice is blossoming like hope in the darkness of your worst days. And if you would listen to his voice and you put your trust in him and allow your hallelujahs to swallow up your how longs, you will survive life's worst days. In Jesus' name, God bless. Come back next week, the third most requested sermon next week. Have a great week. Love you. God bless.